My friends, as Pastor Anderson mentioned, the the theme of this week's chapel is purity. And we saw that word purity in the passage that was read to us from Philippians. Paul instructs us to think about purity. And as we contemplate what purity is, and especially if we think about what the world out there means by purity, I think we might get confused by the whole thing. In fact, in the last several weeks, as I prepared for this morning, I started to look at that word purity and what people meant by it, and quite frankly, it got more and more confusing as we went. You might say that what we mean by pure out there is kind of not pure, and it's just sort of weird. But in the end, what God means in his word by purity, uh, it's pretty simple to grasp. So before we get started then trying to figure out what we mean by purity this morning, I think it might be good to remind ourselves why we are being encouraged to think about purity. Why did Pastor Anderson select purity in this week's chapel? Well, as he mentioned, because it comes from our theme verse from the year, for the year from 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. Pretty simple, right? That's why Pastor Anderson put that before us this week. But why did Paul include that word in his instruction to Timothy? And why does the Holy Spirit encourage us to think about whatever is pure along the way? And to get those answers, we can easily go back to the book of 1 Timothy and find out what Paul has in mind and, by connection, what the Holy Spirit has in mind for us as we go. In the beginning of that letter to Timothy, we see a very straightforward command from Paul. Timothy, don't let people teach false doctrine to the believers in the community of Ephesus. That's a pretty simple, straightforward instruction, and it is the most single most important message in all of Paul's letter to Timothy. Paul returns to it time and time and time again, slightly different words along the way, but he's always on point. Timothy, don't let people teach false doctrine in the community of believers in Ephesus. So why does Paul give this command? Well, in verse 11 of chapter 1 of Timothy, he says it's all about the glorious gospel that pure gospel, you might say, which had been entrusted to Paul, which Paul was entrusting to Timothy, and by connection, then the Holy Spirit is entrusting to us. You see, the purpose of this command is, this purpose of this command that our attention be focused on purity, well, it's for our own good. It's for the sake of the glorious gospel. It's so that that gospel might always remain among us. It's for the sake of the good of the community. And if we look at then 1 Timothy, all of chapter 1, we see that the Holy Spirit gives this command to preserve that glorious gospel in all of its purity. God doesn't want his pure gospel to get confused with false doctrines, with myths, and with controversies which arise out of all those false doctrines. He wants us to stay focused on the pure gospel. Perhaps we could say that the Holy Spirit wants us to stay cross-eyed, but not cross-eyed, cross-eyed. These myths, I, I not that funny, okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure. You know? uh, these myths and these controversies which take our eyes off of the cross, they're rampant, they're popular, and they're persistent, and they were in Paul's world, and they are in our world too. Thus, our need to persevere in the pure gospel. And Paul then is on the same theme in chapter 2, where he reminds people to sort of check their myths at the door when they gather as a community of believers. You see, in 
Paul's first century world in this crazy city of Ephesus. It was a happening, hopping kind of place, Ephesus was. It was a city filled with all sorts of activity, all sorts of commerce, all sorts of opportunity for things for people to do. And it was also a largely pagan kind of place. But you might say that hashtag Ephesus was trending big time in Paul's world. And in all of that chaos... Both men and women, apparently, were needing to visibly display and protect and establish their status and their relationships in that world. And then Paul is simply saying to those people, because those people, after all, had been converted from that chaos. They had been called out of that chaos by the gospel. So Paul is simply reminding us that uh, all that visible display of status as necessary as it might be in the world. I'm not sure if it is, but if it is necessary in the world, it isn't necessary in the community of believers. In fact, it has no place among the community of believers. Such displays of status and relationship, whether they come in the form of how we dress or in how we carry ourselves and posture ourselves, all of that is just another myth, another thing that distracts us from the pure gospel. So Paul says it this way in his letter to the Galatians, which was a community very much like the community of believers in Ephesus and a community very much like a community of believers here in Irvine. Paul says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, before we were called out of that chaotic, sinful world, before we were baptized into Christ, into his death, into his resurrection. And before we were given new life, new pure lives, our relationships, too, were broken. Our relationship with each other, our relationship with our God, they were in chaos. In fact, they were completely and purely ruined along the way, right? But now, on account of faith in Christ, all of these relationships, they've been restored We no longer have any need to display or protect those sort of relationships or statuses. We are one in Christ Jesus, and that's the pure gospel, which Paul wanted to preserve and proclaim in Ephesus and in Irvine. And that answers for us why Paul wants to think about and have us think about purity. He wanted us to hear it, and he wanted us to see it from our church leaders, whatever we might call them, and from others, each other, in our community of believers. Now, to be clear, no part of God's word asks us then to stay away from that chaotic world. Quite the opposite. And in fact, if you were here on Monday night, you heard our guest speaker, Micah Bornet, say the same thing. The word of God actually encourages us to walk with wisdom toward the outsider, serving our neighbor, letting others hear and see the pure gospel in us. And as you read through all of 1 Timothy then, you'll see that that idea is repeated time and time and time again. Every time Paul mentions a topic, whatever it is, every time he gives an instruction in that book, it has the same purpose. So that we will not be distracted by false doctrines, myths, and controversies, but rather that the pure doctrine, the pure gospel, will be always in front of us along the way. So then we can move from the question of why purity to what is purity. And like I said, then, our world tends to muddy this intention of purity along the way. Let me just give you a few examples. Ivory soap. Some of you know that ivory soap markets itself as 99 and 44 one-hundredths percent pure. 
It's a mouthful just to say, and I read a little bit about what it means, and apparently back in the 19th century, the founder of the company that made that soap uh, had some scientific tests conducted on his soap and all of the other soaps on the market of the day, and they found that his soap was purer than all the other soaps on the market, and in fact, it was 99 and 44 one-hundredth percent pure, so it was purer than most is really what we ended up with there. And then you might be familiar with Coors Beer, they used to include the tagline, made with pure Rocky Mountain spring water. And one of their competitors pointed out at one point that, in fact, some of their beer was made with water used from the east coast of the United States, nowhere near the Rocky Mountains, so it couldn't be pure. And apparently, Coors argued for a while, at least, that, well, it was just a little bit. It was mostly pure, I guess you would say. Now, Coors has since straightened all that out, and uh, they've changed things along the way, depending upon where their beer is made. But nonetheless, mostly pure seemed appropriate in that world. And then I meant to get a bottle of Arrowhead water, but the fountain up here, or the uh, machine up here, didn't work this morning. But Arrowhead has a really interesting tagline that started to really play with my mind. Arrowhead uh, tagline says, pure quality. And I really got confused about that the more I thought about it. I had two adjectives, and I didn't know which one was doing what to what. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to let the business people and the English people sort through that. But you get the idea. Our world often seems content with pure enough or mostly pure or purer than the other stuff you might find along the way. But the Bible is quite clear about purity. In the Bible, purity is, well, pure or not. As God discusses purity, there is no such thing as kind of pure or sort of pure. There is either pure or contaminated, innocent or guilty, clean or unclean, and there's no vagueness or muddy waters here. And then we have a bit of a problem because we aren't pure, are we? We haven't set the example of purity, have we? If God expects us to be pure, if he expects us to be purely pure, and he does... Well, we're toast. And then knowing that human examples would eventually not live up to pure purity, Paul also encouraged the people of Ephesus to look to God for their example of purity. In Ephesians 5.1, Paul writes to those people, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. But then we run into another problem, don't we? We don't follow God's example. In fact, we can't. So at the end of the day, if we're honest with ourselves... We conclude once again that we aren't pure. We're not even kind of pure or sort of pure or almost pure. On our own, we are completely and purely unclean and contaminated. But we have a great God, don't we? He didn't simply send his son into the world so that we might have some unattainable example of purity. Rather, he sent his son into the world to deliver purity to us in person. That's what Jesus meant when he said from the cross, it is finished, purity delivered, purely. And that's why we are commanded to let people hear and see purity in us. That's why we are encouraged to think about what is pure, so that we might know what it is, so that we might know where we got it, and so that we might know that we have it. My friends fellow believers in the community of Irvine, in Christ, you have been given purity. You are pure. That's the glorious gospel. And as you go about your days, then, let others hear and see and think about purity so that they, too, can know what it is 
and how they can get it. Amen.